We are in week two of a series that we're calling Teach Us to Pray. And very simply, we're trying to learn to be better at praying. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt like you've said prayers and they weren't heard, or maybe you felt like there was a lid on your prayers or your prayers never reached the ceiling. We've got lots of things that we say sometimes about prayers that seem to be unanswered. But I think all of us, if, if given a choice to have better prayer lives and see better results from our prayers, we would, we would probably most likely do whatever we were told to do if we knew that would be the outcome. And so this series, we're just trying to look at some simple, really instructions from Jesus on how to pray better, how to get better results from our prayers and how to have a more effective prayer life. Uh, kind of our theme verse for this series is found in Luke 11, verse number one. And it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. So we see here that Jesus is praying, his disciples see him praying, and apparently there's something different about the prayers that Jesus prays than the prayers that the disciples pray. See, the disciples, uh, most of which would have been Jewish and they would have grown up learning to pray from a very young age. They would have said hundreds and thousands of prayers in their lifetimes, but when they got around Jesus and saw him pray, it just seemed different. And something inside of them said, I want what he has. I, I want to be able to pray like him. And, and maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've been around people who say prayers and you're like, I want to be able to pray like that. And uh, so that's what this series is all about, is how Jesus responds to that question. Um, many of us have experience kind of that moment in life or in a situation where we try something that we've seen other people do or that we've heard other people have done and we get completely different results and we're like so what's the secret like what are you doing different from me because I feel like I'm doing the exact same thing that you're doing but different outcome uh, here recently uh, I've been invited to go mountain biking with uh, a friend named Alan, and he has been gracious enough to provide a bike and the whole nine yards for me. Uh, and so I've really begun to enjoy mountain biking. And we mountain bike a lot over at uh, Fort Yargo State Park, and uh, he'll take me out there and just wear me out. Uh, but I began to hear from another friend of mine, his name is Shane, about this portion of the trail called Horseshoe Drop. And uh, I had never seen Horseshoe Drop, and we had ridden what I thought was the entire trail. And so uh, when Alan picked me up to go riding uh, about a week after that, I said, hey, Alan, so what's this about a horseshoe drop that I'm hearing about? You know, Shane's telling me that there's this horseshoe drop and I got to try it. And he says, oh, I'll show you horseshoe drop. If you want to see horseshoe drop, I'm not going to ride it, but I'll take you there. And I said, okay, I mean, what's the big deal about horseshoe drop? You know, I'm up for anything. You know, this kind of competitive juices in me is like, well, if Shane can do it, I can do it. And uh, it had been raining some days before and so the ground was a little wet and some mud in some places and uh, so we get to a part of a trail and he takes a turn and he says you go ahead and lead the way so I ride the bike slowly and cautiously up to horseshoe drop and to my surprise there's this huge gully Um, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say it's probably 10 to 12 feet deep and it's it's basically straight down and then it rounds out at the bottom and then you come straight back up the other side And so I rolled up to the edge of Horseshoe Drop, and I thought, yeah, that's why you're not riding this. And this is why Shane told me about it, because he wants me to ride this and see what happens. And um, he says, you go for it if you want to try it. I said, well, man, we got to try this. 
And so you go down one side, out the other, and then it makes a little horseshoe, and you come down that side and back out, and you're done. should take you a minute, and uh, you'll be on your way. So um, my strategy in my mind was, if I can get into a gear that my momentum takes me halfway up the hill on the other side, then I can probably pedal out of that thing, and, and I'll be good. And so I kind of creep up to the edge of horseshoe drop and my eyes are huge and I'm like, what am I doing? And I go down and I start back up the other side and I get almost to the top and I try to pedal and I'm not quite going to make it. So I step off and I stumble a little bit, but I just push my bike on up and I'm like, you know, that could have been bad. You know, it could have been bad, but I made it. And, and so I'm going to learn from my mistake there. I felt like I was in too low of a gear and I wasn't getting enough traction. And so I, I shifted my gears Coming out the other side, I, and, and I'm going to kill this. You know, it's going to be fun. And so I roll up to the edge cautiously, and I'm looking over the edge like, what am I about to do? And I go down in and I come back up, and I had shifted the wrong direction. And when I tried to pedal coming out of that thing, my legs are just, and I'm not moving anywhere. And uh, I literally, like, tried to step off and catch myself, but it's straight up and down. And so I fall over, and the bike's on top of me, and I slide and roll all the way to the bottom of the hill in the middle of all this mud where it's been raining. And, uh, and Alan's like, dude, are you okay? Like, at first, he didn't want to laugh. Like, he was trying to, you know, protect my feelings. He was trying to check and see if I was okay. And when he saw that I was okay, he was like, oh, man, that was great. That was great. But the problem was, it wasn't over. Like, I had to get out of this gully that's 10 or 12 feet tall, and it's somewhat muddy. And the funny thing was watching me trying to get out. And I'm crawling. I've got mud all over me, hands and feet. And eventually I have to, like, throw my bike up to him. And he pulls it out. And then he's got to lean down and pull me out. Long story. I get home and I text Shane, who was going to go riding with us that day. And I say, dude, you missed it. I bit it in a horseshoe drop. And he calls me within, like, 12 seconds. It's one of these, oh, dude, you got to tell me about this. What happened? Are you okay? And so I tell him the story. And after he laughs and makes fun of me for a good bit, you know, I say, so did you make it on your first try? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, what did you do? Like, what's the secret? And he said, let me tell you why I made it my first try. It's because I was with my nephew and I saw him do it. And I learned how you have to hit horseshoe drop to make it out. He said, you got to have a lot of speed before you go over the edge. And when you do, that momentum will just carry out. You don't have to pedal. You just ride the bike. You'll go right out the other side. But you got to have a lot of speed. And he said, and that's difficult because you're looking at a 10 to 12 foot drop. And he said, you come back out and you do it. You come back out and you're good. And so the next time I said, Alan, we got to do a horseshoe drop again. I said, I know the secret now. See, my mistake was I just crept up to the edge and I looked over like what's about to happen to me. And that's what happened to me. I said, but this time I'm going to get some speed and I'm going to make it happen. And I did. Went down, right out. Came out the other side, went on my way, and uh, Alan and another guy named Brian that was with us, they were like, neither would try it, and uh, they were like, dude, that was pretty good, and Brian was like, asking me, so like, you know, how do you shift your body weight, what do you do, like he was thinking about trying it, and um, so hopefully I'm going to get Alan and Brian to try horseshoe drop one day, but the little piece of knowledge of having speed before you go in made all the difference in my experience. It kept me from having a bike roll on top of me all the way down a hill in the middle of the mud, to easily experiencing something that was really quite a rush. It was a lot of fun. And now I think I would do it any time. Uh, I'll probably wreck one of these days because I have too much speed, but um, that knowledge made all the difference. And I think that we need some knowledge when it comes to prayer for us to experience a difference in our attempts at prayer. See, so many times, you know, we feel like 
the words that we say are the most important thing. But last week we talked about the four Ps. We talked about our posture, our position, our persistence, and the promise of prayer. Uh, that really before you ever say a word in prayer are, are kind of need-to-know items so that you can have the right approach to this thing called prayer so that you can see some results. No one wants to pray prayers and them not be answered. No one wants to feel like they're wasting their time in praying. And so we make prayer to be something way bigger than it is. And the disciples say, Jesus, so what's the secret? Like, why are your prayers different from ours? What can we do to be more like you in our prayer lives? And so after Jesus gives the disciples those four Ps, um, he begins to share with them a prayer, some words to say, uh, but it's become known as the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it was the disciples' prayer because it was a prayer that he gave to the disciples. But we know that it's a model. Like he wasn't saying to his disciples, say these exact words every time and your prayers will be awesome. But he was giving us an approach to the words that we say in our prayers. And today I want to look at half of those words. I want to look at half of those words with you. And so I want to go to Matthew chapter number six. And I want to look at verses number nine and 10. This is Jesus' response after his disciple asked him, how do you pray? And this is what he says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want to stop there. I want to say a few words before we go through. Um, because this is a model, and so we need to learn from the words that he says and learn to apply it to ourselves. The first thing that really stands out to me in this prayer is how he addresses the prayer. He says, our Father. He doesn't say, hey, like distant God up there in the galaxy somewhere far out there that's really far away that hopefully you can hear this. He says, our Father. Now, I know this could be difficult for some of you because perhaps you didn't have a great father or perhaps you didn't have a father in your life as you were growing up. But I think that we speak to our dads, our fathers, at least those that we respect and feel loved by, in a way that's different than just any ordinary person. For most of us, or at least for me, I'll speak for myself, when I speak to my dad, to my father, my earthly father, there's a sense of respect. Uh, I speak to him differently sometimes than I speak to other people because of the respect that I feel that he commands from me. Not that he demands, but just his relationship with me causes me to have such a respect for him, such an honor for him, that I speak to him differently than I would speak to someone else's dad. And I think it's important to note that the best prayers we'll ever pray are really grounded in a relationship and not in a crisis. That we're able to say, our Father, knowing that we have a relationship with the creator of the universe, that the person we're praying to isn't just some floating presence somewhere out there that hopefully hears us. But no, this is our Father. This is God, creator of the universe that loves us, that sent his son to die for us, that cares about what we're about to say to him, that nothing we say to him is going to be insignificant. I can remember saying things to my dad that were very insignificant, that he made me feel like we're really important because of the relationship that we had. And I was able to say things in my lifetime to my dad that I wouldn't say to anyone else because I knew the relationship that we have. And so the first thing that we need to know is that when we pray, the way we address our prayers is important. Not this token salutation, you know, our heavenly father or however it is we start all our prayers, but just really centering our mind around, hey, I'm about to talk to God. 
I'm about to talk to my heavenly father. And no matter what your earthly father's situation looks like, you have a heavenly father that loves you, that cares about you, that's eager to hear your voice, that's awaiting an opportunity to converse with you, that wants you to bring what useless and trivial knowledge you think you may have to offer to him because he cares. Our father, this person that we have a relationship with, not this distant God, it's important. It's important for us to to know that when we pray, we're praying to someone and not something. It's not just this, we throw this prayer out to some random God. No, this is our Father. And I think until you have that relationship, or until you embrace that relationship, or until you really see the potential in that relationship, it's difficult to say effective prayers because in your mind, you're kind of talking to someone that may seem abstract. Because you can't see God physically. You can't hear God's voice physically all the time, though some people have. So you have to have this faith in this relationship that you have with the creator of the universe. I had a student when I was a youth pastor that brought me this bumper sticker. um, And I put it on a guitar case that I had at the time because I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, I was really young. I was just out of college. And uh, it said, Jesus is my homeboy. And... um, I thought, you know, like, me and Jesus, we're cool. Like, he's my friend, and he is. But we're not just talking to a homeboy when we pray. Like, it's not just a friend that we're catching up on. It's not just some buddy that we have. This is our Heavenly Father and the creator of the universe that we should have such deep respect and admiration for. And when we have this confidence in a relationship that we have with him, then our prayers are different from the very beginning. And Jesus modeled this so well by giving us this prayer. And so after he establishes this prayer that's based not on a crisis, not of saying I've gotten myself into so much trouble or life has happened to me and it's more than I can bear and I haven't had a conversation with my father in years, but I really need him now. But this relationship, this ongoing loving relationship makes a huge difference. See, everyone prays when they're in crisis. But not everyone prays consistently based on that relationship. And for Jesus, that was a big deal that was seen by his disciples in the prayers that he prayed. We all go through crises, and it's important for us to call out to God in the midst of those. But if that's the only time we ever talk to God, then there's going to be something really missing in our prayer life, in the effectiveness of the prayers we pray. And so it's important for us to establish that relationship, first of all, and know who we're talking to, our Father, who art in heaven. Like, you've sent your Holy Spirit here to live with me, to lead me, to guide me here on the earth, but you're in heaven. You're, you're in a place that I want to be. You're in a place that I long for, and I desire to be there. And so there's this hunger that we establish in our prayers. Like, you've got something that I want, And I'm coming to you as humbly as I know how, with deep respect, and I'm going to present some requests to you, and I'm going to share some things with you, and I'm going to get some things off my chest, but I'm going to have this view of you that's completely different than the way a lot of people pray, and probably the way the disciples were taught to pray from a very young age. So our Father, who art in heaven, and he says, hallowed be your name. Now this word hallowed, we don't don't use this word much in, in today's culture. But when he says, hallowed be your name, basically he's saying your name is, 
It's worthy of holiness. It's worthy of respect. It's to be revered. It's to be lifted high. Basically, he's, he's saying here that there should be a form of worship in your prayer. That we have this model for us in prayer that when we come to God, we come out of a heart based on a relationship, but we come bringing worship. We come telling God how great he is and how huge he is in comparison to our lives and how he has everything that we need. And we have this worshipful attitude in prayer. So many people, like, they start their prayers with, God, you know I can't make it unless I get some more resources. Or, God, you know I can't get through this sickness, and so I need you to help me. And it's like we're coming to a God that we may not have the best relationship with, and we're, like, dumping our to-do list on him out the gate. Now, you parents know what this is like. You've got children, and they come to you when they want something. And you know that when they come to you just wanting something... That there's not always a receptivity in their requests. Like you can go to your parents and you can say, like, hey, I need 20 bucks. Me and my friends were going to the movies. No, like, I need 20 bucks. Give me 20 bucks now. And your dad will be like, dude, are you crazy? You need to go get a job. I've had my dad tell me that before. Like, what do you think? Money just grows on trees? I'm just going to give you money anytime you want money? Am I like your genie in a bottle that fulfills all your deepest, darkest wishes and you just want me? for what I can give you. We shouldn't go to God like that. That's not the attitude, but rather we should go worshipful. We should ascribe greatness to him and tell him how great he is. So we've established that our prayers are based on relationship and not based on crisis and that we have this element of worship in our prayers that we begin with. This isn't at the end. This is at the beginning. That we take some time to come into the presence of God and before we start asking, gimme, 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 is we have this, something that we give God, something that he desires, worship. In John chapter four, Jesus has a conversation with a woman at the well. And in that conversation, he says, the father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Like that's what God wants from us. He doesn't just want like you to give money to the church. He doesn't just want you to volunteer your time. He wants you to live a lifestyle of worship to him. And so when we pray, that should be a huge component in our prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he says this phrase that I want us to kind of camp out on for the rest of our time together. When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For so many of us, maybe not intentionally, but if we're honest with ourselves, if we would look at the prayers that we pray, it's almost as if we want to convince heaven to make our experience on earth what we want it to be. And so in our minds, as we're coming to God in prayer, it's, hey God, I need you to do this to make life a little better. And if you'll just kind of change to, to make my life better, then we think that's a successful prayer. Right? Like, I'm sick, and I need you to change my situation so that I'm not sick, and that's a successful prayer. 
Or, hey, I got these bills and people are calling me and I don't know how I'm going to pay for them. And so I need you to kind of magically make some checks appear in my account or magically let me pick up some extra hours at the job so that I can pay these bills. And if you'll just change earth for me and you'll kind of make earth what I need it to be, then that's a successful prayer. I just had this argument with my kids. I just had this argument with my spouse. I just had this argument with my boss. And I need you to change them because if you'll change them, then we'll get along better and life will be better for me. And it's almost as if we come to God with this mentality of, I want you to do something for me to make my life better. And if you do, then I'll say thank you and I'll really respect you because you do something for me that, that was really helpful. And just you hearing that, doesn't that just feel so wrong? Like, think about if you were God, and that's the kind of prayers you got. Hey, God, I need you to do something for me. I need you to change something for me. I need you to fix something for me. And if you'll do that for me, then I'll tell you I love you, and I'll tell you thank you, and you'll be like an awesome God. But so many times when he doesn't change things or fix things or mend things or make things what we want them to be, what happens? We begin to say, how could you let this happen to me, God? Or why did you do this to me? Or why didn't you fix this? And our view of God begins to change because we're praying prayers that we're never supposed to pray and they weren't answered in the way we think they should be answered and therefore God apparently can't do his job very well. And so we begin to tell God all the more like, hey, you're like really missing the boat here. I don't know if you know this, but I need you to do something for me. So like today would be great like if you could just jump on that, I know you're busy and I know there's probably like at least five other people praying right now, but if you could just kind of focus your time on me, that would be awesome. And Jesus, in the model that he gives for us to pray, never tells us that we should tell God how to do his job and fix our life and make it what we want it to be. But rather, he says, may your kingdom come like how about earth changes to be more like heaven instead of heaven changing to make earth what we want it to be? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, my prayers aren't like, hey, this is what I want and this is what I need and this is what I think you should do. But your prayers become, so what are you doing in me? And how can I change to serve you better in the midst of that? See, I think that prayer is not so much about getting what we want from God, but really discovering and embracing what God wants for us. I've had many moments in my life where life just got really hard. I was going through something very difficult. And like a lot of people, the last thing that I thought to do was, well, I should probably pray about this. And so when I got to the end of myself and I couldn't fix it and I couldn't make things right, there would always be someone in my life that would say, hey, have you prayed about this? And I would say, you know, I really haven't prayed about this. And almost every time that I go to God, even in the midst of some of the most difficult situations I've been in, and I pray about it, even though the situation doesn't immediately change, I always leave that prayer having more peace in my heart about the situation with a greater understanding that perhaps, just maybe, life isn't about me and perhaps, just maybe, what difficult situation I'm going through for whatever reason is somehow going to result in God getting some kind of glory 
in the end. And I don't know how that's going to happen or what it looks like, but perhaps I can just kind of submit and lean into, God, maybe you're doing something in me right now. And I always leave those prayers really encouraged, even though I didn't get what I wanted necessarily. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God has this huge plan for all of our lives. Before our days ever began, before we were conceived in our mother's womb, he knew the plans that he had for us. And he had plans for our life that we haven't realized yet. And sometimes when he's doing something in us to accomplish what he wants to do through us, we can't see the forest for the trees. And all we see is, God, I need you to fix this and change this and help me in this because I can't take it anymore. And God's saying, wait, like this is my plan. This is what I'm doing in you. This is what I'm going to do through you. And when you get to the back side of this, like you're going to be thankful that you went through this because you're going to have a story to tell. You're going to have an experience where you're going to know that you can trust me and depend on me more than ever. Can't you see that I'm doing something in your life? But we don't, we don't always see that. And it's hard for us to know the will of God. It's hard for us to grasp and wrap our mind around the exact plans that he has for us in everyday life. And we get so wrapped up in the unfulfilling aspects of our life that we forget that when we pray, it's not our job to tell God how to do his, but it's our job to learn more of what he's doing in us and through us. May your kingdom come in me in this situation, as difficult as it is, would you help me? I can remember trying to sell a condo trying to rent a condo, trying to do anything in the world to move out of a condo because it was way too small for my wife and I and our kid and our kid on the way. And, you know, life is just going to explode in our faces and we'll never make it if we don't get out of this two-bedroom condo. And for three and a half years, we couldn't seem to get out of a condo. And I would pray, God, I know that, I mean, you created everything, all the stars in the sky, you placed there, you've named them all. Like, surely you can get someone to buy my condo. Okay, well, maybe you want someone to rent my condo. Surely you can find someone to rent my condo and I can move out. And I can just remember the frustrations in my heart. And one of our overseers here at the church one day, he said, you know, Bronson, just maybe, just maybe God doesn't want you to move yet. Just maybe the time's not right. And maybe he wants you to learn something while you're in that condo. And when he said that, I just went to God in prayer with this attitude of, Lord, I'm just... I'm sorry for, for being angry and disappointed in you that I'm stuck in this condo. It's amazing when I got up from praying, just the peace that I had about the situation. There's been moments, if I'm just being transparent with you, in the last three years where God called my wife and I to plant this church so that I just, I got to the end of myself I mean, there's been days where I haven't wanted to get out of the bed because I felt so depressed and so uncertain and so inadequate to do what God's called me to do that I just, I've just wanted to quit and just go live life. And I've just gone to God so many times and said, if you'll just like, if you'll just send 
this. If you, I mean, if we just had more people, if we just had more money, like things would be so much easier and we can do so much more of what you called us to do. I feel like I have this vision that you have for my life, but I'm not seeing it happen the way I thought it was going to happen. Like I thought that we would be a lot bigger than we are by now. And I thought that we would be able to have a greater impact that we're having, but it just wasn't working that way. And I can remember times just going to God in prayer, just in tears, just at the end of myself saying, God, I can't do this anymore. Like, you're going to have to find someone else to do this, and I'm just going to move on with my life. I've just got to have some relief from all the stress and all the pressure that I feel to provide for my family and to grow this church and to reach people like you've called us to do. I just can't handle it. And it's almost like every time I go to him in prayer, I just, it's almost like my father reaches down and he just wraps his arm around me, you know? It's like he's just saying, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm, I'm in control, and you're going to make it. You know, just trust me. Just trust me. And I can always leave those prayers when I'm just at the end of myself with a peace, with a peace that maybe God isn't doing what I want him to do right now, but maybe I can allow him to do what he wants to do in me. And he's teaching me things, and he's giving me experiences that are going to ultimately have great impacts on, on the rest of my life. I believe that. So my question for you today and for all of us really is, have you prayed about it? Like that situation in your life, that circumstance, no matter how difficult it may be, like, have you prayed about it? And is your prayer simply like, Lord, change this because I want you to, or is it Whatever your will is for my life, even if I don't understand it, I want that. And maybe we can shift our wants from being centered around us to being centered around him. And therefore our wants drive our prayers, but our wants aren't about us anymore. And the more that we have this relationship with the Heavenly Father and we learn to worship him in prayer and we begin to say, I want what you want, that's when we begin to see prayers answered. But see, we, we don't always have that approach. And sometimes we like creep up to the top of horseshoe drop and we're like, I'm just going to go for it and hope for the best. When God is saying like, just get a little speed up and trust me. Like I promise we're going to get through this. And when we can learn to want what God wants, then why wouldn't he answer the prayers that we're praying when that's what he wants for us? I mean, you think about it. If God calls you to become a lawyer, that's his plan for your life. That's what he wants for you. You can pray all the prayers you want. Like, God, I want to be a doctor. Lord, make me a doctor. Lord, give me the insight to be a doctor. Lord, I'm going to go to school and be a doctor. Lord, why can't I find a job being a doctor? I want to be a doctor, but I'm not getting any opportunities to be a doctor. And every time I go interview for a doctor's position, I'm getting a doctor's position because I'm just frustrated. Can you please just help me out here? And God's saying like, I want you to be a lawyer, dude. Like, why are you praying about being a doc doctor when I've called you to be a lawyer? Do you see how our prayers are sometimes so misdirected? And the more that we read God's word and the more that we get to know our Heavenly Father, the more that we begin to learn His will for our life. And the more that we begin to want what He wants, and the more our prayers begin to center around saying, God, whatever you want from me is what I want from me. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to make my little circle of earth as much like heaven as you'll possibly allow me to make it.
And so whatever it is that you want from me, that's what I want. And when we go to God with that attitude, no matter what situation we're in, of course he's going to answer our prayers. And Jesus, like, he wasn't one of those teachers that, like, told you how to do something. He wasn't like one of these do as I say and not as I do type people. But in the most difficult moment of his life, he displayed this brilliantly and so perfectly. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse number 39. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. He went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. In other words, he's gone here before. He goes here a lot. He has a routine. It's important for us to maybe even sometimes have a location where we go to pray. Sometimes that can be really helpful for us. His disciples followed him, and on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Now, context here. Jesus is about to be arrested. God sent him to the earth to give his life for you and for me. And he was moments away, hours away, minutes away from being arrested and being dragged off into the most horrible experience of his entire life. And in that moment, he says, I'm going to go pray. And he takes his disciples to a place that he's familiar with. And he goes to pray and he tells them, you kneel down here and pray. And he goes a little further to be by himself. And he kneels down to pray. And listen to what he says. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Like what he wanted was not to go through what he was about to go through. But he's Jesus, but he's God, yeah. Fully human. Didn't want to die. Knew that he was going to be beaten. Knew that he was going to be betrayed. Knowing that he was going to be abused. Falsely accused of things. That there was pain coming. That there was shame coming. That there was disgrace coming. And that ultimately God the Father would turn his back on his son when he bore the sins of the world. And he says, Father, if it's your will, like if there's any way possible, could you please just take this from me? Like, is there a plan B? Can there please be a plan, plan B for my life? Let's just kind of figure, I mean, we're God, like together we can figure this out. I'm going to, you know, we'll call down some angels and we'll rearrange some things and I'll get someone else to do this. But then, in such submission, he says, yet, in other words, but, not my will, but yours be done. In the darkest moment of his life, God didn't fix what he wanted him to fix. In that moment, he was able to say, if this is what you want, then I'm going to, I'm going to just going to want it. And I'm just going to own up to it and I'm going to do what you want me to do, even though I really don't want to go through this. And the scripture goes on to say that he was under such agony that his sweat became like drops of blood. There's actually a medical condition where there's so much stress on a person's life that blood can actually seep out of their pores. He was under that much agony. And could God have like rescued him Sure. 
but it wasn't his plan. And Jesus, knowing that his prayer wasn't about getting what he wanted from God, but understanding what God wanted from him, said, if you can't take this, like, whatever you want, I want. You can share how you feel with God. You can be honest with God. You can tell God how much pain you're in and how much you don't want to go through something. But you need to back that up with, okay, so that's how I feel about things. Now, what do you want for me? And that's what you grab hold of. And that's the result of a great prayer is knowing that what he wants for you, you have a peace about and you can embrace and you can wrap your mind around. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer works best when it's grounded in a relationship and not crisis. And prayer is not about getting what you want from God, but embracing, fully surrendering to what God wants for you. So if you're going to pray effective prayers, and if you're going to see God do things in your prayers and through your prayers that blow your mind, it's all about what he wants for you. And here's the thought that I just want to leave you with. Because I believe there could be people here today who, truth be told, that don't have a relationship with God. That they, they don't know God as their father. That they haven't begun a relationship with him. And so from the very onset, the prayers that they pray are really misguided and misfocused because they're talking to someone they don't know about something that they don't understand and they're expecting something that they're probably not going to get. And I was just thinking about this moment and this worship experience and how we were going to end our time together and I just have been praying this week for whoever may be here that may be far from God. And I just want to tell you that without a relationship with God, if you want to pray effective prayers, like you don't really have much of a chance. Like that's the foundation of what you want. And God isn't some cosmic force. He's someone you can know. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to give his life for you, so that you could experience new life in him, that you could receive hope in a hopeless world. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity, if that's you today, simply to respond to that feeling that you have right now, where God's spirit may be drawing you unto himself, and, and you may realize more than ever, I really don't have a relationship with God, but I need that and I want that because if I have that relationship, then I can have conversations with the creator of the universe that will be meaningful and it will change my life. So real simply, like, if that's you, nothing to embarrass you or call you out or make you feel ashamed 
But if you're here and you just say, I don't have a relationship with God, and I, I want to start a relationship with God today, would you just lift your hand? You don't have to hold it up long. Just let me know you're out there. Is there anybody at all that would just say, I want to start a relationship with God today? I know people are looking around and you're like, aren't we supposed to close our eyes and bow our heads and I can do this in secret? But I just feel like there's someone here today that doesn't know God. And if you want to, you can. Let me lead us in a prayer as we end our time together. And if that's you, and maybe you didn't even raise your hand, or maybe you did and I didn't see it, and you want to know God, and you can start a relationship with him today, I want to lead you in a prayer. You can just pray these words silently in your own heart, and you can ask Jesus to come into your life, and you can begin a relationship with him today. Let me lead you in a prayer. Jesus, I realize that I don't know you. And I want to. And I understand that without you, my life is hopeless. And so I'm asking you today to be the Lord of my life. And I want to live not for me any longer, but for you. And I want to give you control of who I am. I want to ask you to Cleanse me from any evil, any sinful desires that may be in my heart. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.